This is Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. Fiction and nonfiction, graphic novels and more, we're here to help you find something great to read. When Special Agent Trevor Byrne investigates the hasty approval of an experimental AIDS drug, he uncovers a plot by a genetics lab, DNA, to unleash a deadly toxin on the world. With millions of lives at stake and time running out, can Trevor stop DNA before it's too late? Greetings and welcome to Books and Nachos, the Venganza media podcast about all things in print. This is Steve, and thanks for downloading our review of Death Dealt the Hand, a novel by John E. Baylor. Before we get to the book itself, I'd like to give you a little bit of background about the author, for those unfamiliar with him and his work. John E. Baylor is a resident of central Pennsylvania, and he was a successful banker with more than 20 years in the financial industry behind him. He's been quoted as saying that he made the decision to start writing thrillers as he approached the milestone age of 40. With no children, he saw it as his opportunity to leave behind a bit of a legacy, something that would be enjoyed by people long after he was gone. His first published work was the short story Operation Desert Destroyer, which was included in Warren Murphy's anthology Destroyer World New Blood. The novel I'm reviewing was named a top 10 book of the year by Megalith Books and has been enthusiastically endorsed by best-selling authors such as James Rollins. It's no surprise then that John Baylor follows very much in the style of Rollins, with Death Dealt the Hand. The novel is a tale of a government secret agent who is prepared to go to every length possible to save the world from an impending disaster thrust upon it by a sinister villain. Sounding familiar? A little bit James Bond perhaps? Well you wouldn't be very wide of the mark in making that comparison. Baylor is obviously heavily influenced by the works of Ian Fleming. Our central character, secret agent Trevor Byrne, has quite a lot of 007 about him. Think of a hybrid Bond, part Pierce Brosnan, part Daniel Craig. Like Brosnan's Bond, Byrne is a target for the ladies. In fact, at every turn in this story, he's got the fairer sex throwing themselves at him. He's presented with numerous opportunities to bed a range of lovelies, from horny hotel receptionists in their teens through to more mature buxom secretaries. The difference between Byrne and Bond is that he's not a love-em-and-leave-em spy. He's quite happy to decline female advances when he's got more important concerns to focus on. Like Craig's Bond, Byrne is capable of both doling out and taking a lot of punishment, which is a good job because the situations that he's regularly placed in warrant both. Baylor writes this side of Byrne very well. The detailed descriptions given to Byrne's handling of firearms lend a lot of believability to the character's position as a secret agent, and the action scenes in the book are described with aplomb. Baylor himself is trained in the martial arts of Kenjutsu and Jujutsu, and whilst Byrne doesn't specifically use these styles of fighting, Baylor's experience in this area is clear, enabling him to paint a clear picture of frantic fight scenes. Byrne isn't the type of secret agent that never gets hurt. During the course of his investigations into the rogue genetic lab, he gets battered, bruised, shot. He takes a right beating, but he battles on despite, fixed steadfastly on his objective. The character of Byrne is ultimately an appealing one, and a big reason to stick with the story at times, but he suffers from not having much of a backstory, and no existing familial relationships with which we can build up a picture of what it's like to know him. 
We're given some insight into the fact that Trevor's not just a lover and a fighter, through the most important relationship in his life, and for that matter, the best developed relationship in the book. A credible, sensitive side to our secret agent is shown through the bond between him and his pet rabbit, Cadbury. You get the sense that Byrne would do anything for this furry companion, and with just cause. This may be the only book I've ever read where a rabbit effectively acts as a security guard, and ends up saving our hero's bacon on at least one occasion. So, enough about our central character, Agent Byrne. What's he fighting against? Well, the genetics lab DNA, that's D-N-A-Y, one letter more than the three-letter abbreviation for the molecule of inheritance, has received governmental approval to rush through the trial of an AIDS drug on human subjects, cutting some rather important corners and raising the suspicions of Trevor's bosses, who send him to investigate. It's clear right from early on in the book that there's foul play on DNA's behalf, so the tension is created not from trying to identify who the villains of the piece are, but from working out exactly what they're planning and why. At the head of DNA is Carl Joseph, a thoroughly unpleasant human being, and possibly one of the nastiest characters ever created. We meet Carl in the very first chapter of the book, but it's not until later that you put two and two together and realise that he's head of DNA. He's ruthlessly cold and calculating in his evil purpose, all the time presenting a stylish exterior. He reminded me quite a bit of the Patrick Bateman character from the novel American Psycho. When we're introduced to Carl in the opening chapter, it's in a shocking gay sex scene that ends violently. This quite descriptive sexual encounter isn't the only one in the book, and whilst not ever being too graphic, the gritty treatment of some sex scenes aims to push the boundaries of what some readers may be prepared for. It certainly caught me off guard at times. There's definitely a strong sexual undercurrent to the work, and the attitudes of some towards different sexualities are questioned throughout. Back to the villains of the piece, and their plot to unleash a toxin on an unsuspecting world. This was the main plot point that attracted me to the novel when I was given the chance to review the work for Books and Nachos. As I stated in a previous podcast when I took a look at one of Scott Sigler's books, I personally have got a background in molecular biology and biochemistry, and I'm always intrigued by how real-world science is treated by the writers of fiction, and unfortunately, this is where the novel really let me down. DNA is an uninspiring name for a genetics lab, and as soon as I read this I had worries about how the science would be handled. Although Carl Joseph is a reprehensible human being, the company he fronts are never really fleshed out. The science behind their dastardly plan of using a double-blind drug trial to test a very specific weapon of mass destruction before unleashing it on the world is never really dealt with in comprehensive enough detail. Exactly how the experimental AIDS drug works just isn't clear enough, and the science behind the transmission of the deadly toxin amongst humans is fudged, and as a result spoils the believability of the story. The tale is also badly in need of more backstory, about who greased the wheels of government in allowing DNA to expedite the testing of the drug. Small mention is given to a shady fundamentalist Christian group that Carl Joseph is linked to, but this story arc is dropped like a hot potato shortly after being introduced, and with its disappearance a lot of potentially exciting intrigue is lost. Aside from the battle between Byrne and Joseph, Baylor does try and weave a number of other character arcs into the novel, but they're either too brief or not well developed enough to make a big impact on the story. There's Trevor's boss, who I pictured as a real character, but we only ever meet him on the end of a telephone. There's a single mother with AIDS struggling to make ends meet, who applies to take part in the trial for DNA's new AIDS drug. 
She gives tremendous scope for looking at the real-life experience of an AIDS sufferer, but our time spent with her is far too brief. And then there's the manager of the Three Mile Island nuclear power plant, who has some real comedic potential, but fades out of the story just as quickly as he was brought in. In fact, the inclusion of the Three Mile Island nuclear power plant in the story was puzzling to me, as it's never really used in a way that meshes with the rest of the story. It's like Baylor, who I mentioned at the start is from central Pennsylvania, wanted to crowbar this landmark that's obviously familiar to residents of that area into the story. But if this was a screenplay, and I was directing, it might have turned up only in the deleted scenes. So, did I enjoy the book? Well, yes, I suppose I got a reasonable amount of enjoyment from it. It was a quick little page-turner, but not as compulsive a read as I'd hoped for. At just over 200 pages long, it was shorter than I would have liked, and it was lacking in necessary character building, and was guilty of trimming down important story elements way too much, making it ultimately more of a functional book, rather than the encompassing experience that I hope I get when I read a novel. Trevor Byrne is by far the most important feature of the story, and I was thankful that, spoiler alert, Come the end of the book, he was left alive for further adventures. I would recommend to our author that Trevor is well worth picking up again for future novels should he be interested in writing them. I don't know if a prequel or a sequel novel are in the works, but a trilogy of stories would allow the character of this likeable secret agent to be fleshed out further, and I for one would be prepared to read more about him. Who's this book for? Well, let me start by saying that it's definitely not for the under-18s, or, for that matter, the reader of a sensitive disposition. The no-holds-barred descriptions of violent murder and sexual acts make certain of that. I think it's more of a bloke's book, as there's a definite detailed focus on the realistic operations of a secret agent that will interest the lads, as well as a, God, I wish I was in that situation, fantasy element to some of Trevor's encounters with the ladies. I'm hesitant to recommend it to our female listenership, though. I let my wife, who's really into her thrillers, read the blurb, and she turned her nose up at it. I read the book on a short vacation, and I think it would make a perfect read on the beach this summer for the gentleman who's into his action thrillers. So, thanks for joining us. I've enjoyed sharing my thoughts on Death Dealt the Hand, and hope to be back with some more reviews later this year. I hope you keep reading! Thank you for listening to Books and Nachos. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can catch back episodes at our website, booksandnachos.com. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at podsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved.